Top of the morning to you. It's Chappy, and I'm live from my boudoir. I, um, I'm under the covers with the 12 undercrackers of Christmas wrapped around the microphone. The 12 knickers of Christmas. They're rather threadbare. Uh, they have holes in them, but I'm trying to pad out the sound to make me sound a little bit warmer and more festive. I'm also dressed like Willy Willy Winky. Or is it Wee Willy Winkle? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I can't remember. Um, so I have the nightcap on and I have a long nightgown. And I didn't sleep very well. Um, maybe it was a uh, slightly indigestible potato that uh, I couldn't digest through the night that, uh, that kept me awake through the, course of the, uh, through the course of the wee hours, almost like Ebenezer Scrooge. And the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future come to visit me. No, well, that luckily didn't happen. But I am tucked up, rather warm. Uh, two forlorn sort of looking hounds spread across the bed. And, uh, and trying to record a podcast in bed, you know. Uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono spent most of the 1970s in bed. So why can't I record podcasts in bed? I mean, it's a whole new sort of viewpoint, really. Everybody's about the standing desks, uh, about working, standing up, always being on your feet. I say, why not always be reclined? Do your work in bed. Why not? We're all working from home at the moment. So, you know, get your, get your, bed, get your bed going and uh, lay it out. You know, set up all your work and your computers and everything else around you. And you've got a, a perfect uh, workspace boudoir. And I, I think it's rather wonderful. And you can leave your pyjamas on, or in my case, a nightshirt. And uh, and it's I think you, you do better work when you're mo- most relaxed. So that's the way I see Sid at the moment. Um, it's lovely to have you here. It's, uh, it's episode number 45 of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. We're really approaching the big day. When Father Christmas comes to visit, if you've all been good boys and good girls this year, and you're not on the naughty list, I'm sure some of you are on the naughty list, and um, I don't know how you're going to get back. Maybe do some good deeds this week. It might be it might be your chance to get back into Santa's good books uh, before the uh, big ho-ho-ho. And as I said, it's lovely to have you here. Um, it's rather an intimate setting, inviting you into the bedroom. Uh, but why not? Um, as I said, everything's wrapped around me. I, I normally do like to uh, pad out the sound with uh, maybe 65 uh, ruffle shirts, powder blue, or maybe that sort of slightly cream, creamy colour with the embossed with brown. Um, but n- none of the big bow ties, but just the uh, frilly shirts, the ruffle shirts that I like to wear in, uh, in, in powder blue. Anyway, we'll get on with the show. We've got lots of fun packed into the next hour, and you're most, most welcome to this rather ramshackle, but very fun podcast. I just want to give a heads up 
um, and hats off to Ross Bungden. And this is the music behind me. It's um, some rather lovely uh, Christmas uh, backing music that I think encapsulates the magic of Christmas. And um, it did make me want to bring inside my fire pit. There's all sorts of um, problems that it could cause. Um, hopefully these polyester sheets don't go up in flames. There's no Egyptian cotton to be seen in this bedroom, let me tell you this. So anyway, so some of the things that we may or may not be talking about through the course of the podcast today, from, from the bedroom, um, there's a few holes in the sheets probably made by my incredibly long toenails at the moment that do need clipping. Um, but some of the things we, as I said, may or may not be discussing today, um, if we introduced a mince pie empanada, would Americans warm to it? Um, the Yorkshire pudding saga does continue. Uh, the day in the winter snow that a certain bird followed me. It wasn't an owl this time, but we'll be uh, digging into that a little bit later on. Um, also, um, Marina O'Loughlin, the Times uh, restaurant critic, tries the Waitrose Christmas sandwich. How did it taste? How did it sound? I do love a leftover Christmas sandwich. The stuffing, the turkey, the cranberry sauce, some mustard, maybe some cut-up roast potatoes in there. Absolutely fantastic. Do you go gravy? Do you make it soggy or not? Do you like a soggy Christmas sandwich? Animals are essential. Italians to create first pet-friendly city in Lucca. Um, how the pros look hot on Zoom. Can dogs see ghosts? We're looking at uh, maybe E.L. James, who came up with A Nightmare Before Christmas. Some wonderful Christmas stories that were broadcast, um, written early, but broadcast in the 1970s, 80s and 90s. Penguins at risk as huge icebergs slips even closer. Crafty men cotton onto the joy of sewing. I never was taught to sew, but uh, maybe it's something that I should definitely learn. Should you give up carbs? Here's starchy foods. Why starchy foods aren't the enemy. And uh, how Shakespeare's work was shaped by COVID-like crisis. Maybe we'll look at the Christmas Tudor feast as well. Also the uh, Waitrose festive pizza that has Brussels sprouts on it. Would you eat it or uh, or, or, or not? Um, it has stuffing, turkey, Brussels sprouts. It's all on a pizza crust. It sounds a little bit uh, new age for my taste, but uh, many people are eating it. We have another trumpel trombone session, um, such as a mummified man died of extreme constipation. That's one of the stories that uh, we'll be tempting you with uh, over the uh, over the Trump or trombone session. Uh, an enigmatic English eccentric will be making an appearance. And also some bad form etiquette awards 2020 uh, will be uh, running, uh, running down the runners and riders uh, in those awards uh, on the podcast today as well. So settle back. Why don't you get into bed as well? You know, put some flannel pyjamas on. If you haven't got a nightgown, put some flannel pyjamas on. Maybe light a candle to freshen a rather stale boudoir in the morning. That will, uh, that will uh, definitely uh, get you in a festive spirit. Maybe a pine needle candle burning. Hopefully the candle wasn't burning at both ends last night. Uh, in my case, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, probably not wealthy, 
and certainly not wise. Settle back, enjoy the podcast. We have a week to go till Christmas and hopefully I'll get you into a very cheery, festive, Christmassy mood over the course of the next hour or so. Animals are essential. Italians to create first pet-friendly city in Lucca. The Tuscan city of Lucca is famed for its enviable quality of life with its Renaissance walls and cobblestone streets. An EU-funded project aims to boost the well-being of residents even further by combining technology and town planning to make its Europe's first pet-friendly city. The initiative begins uh, together with Pisa University's Veterinary Science Department, the City Council and Lucca Korea, the company came behind an uh, annual comics festival as well. Together they hope to improve the way animals and humans interact for the benefit and happiness of all. Animals are an essential part of society, says Francesco Ikova, Professor of Agricultural Economics, but they are largely ignored when it comes to urban planning. So this will be the first human-animal smart city. The idea is to transform Luca into the first European city with an integrated policy on human-animal uh, cohabitation. In cities, families tend to build their relationships with nature via the animals that surround them. This requires attention and focused policies taking into account how social sensitivities around relationships between human and animals are changing. Um, uh, Professor Dikova said that dealing with the pets tended to be the responsibility of the local health authorities, but the focus now needed to be improving the quality of the life residents, vulnerable elders, tourists, and the animals. Animals can provide support for humans, but also offer an opportunity for new services and new employment in the city. Planners should consider how animals move around in public transportation, whether they might be dropped off at school or in old people's homes to provide therapy, um, and uh, whether while their owners was at work or the sort of public spaces such as shops and cafes can accommodate the uh, dogs. Uh, Pro- Professor Ikova says his um, five-year study hopes to come up with a charter for animals that could be copied in other cities. Well, my dogs, as I think I've said to many people, the uh, the tail does wag the dog in this house. Um, I mean, they take up most of the bed. I have a, full, a very small sliver of the bed that uh, that they uh, that, that I'm allowed, and they take the rest. Um, they take the couch. They take everything. Everybody, you know, people say you should never let animals sleep on the bed. Never let the dog sleep on the bed. But you know what? I, I think at times it does help me sleep better. It help, help, certainly helps them sleep better. I may be up all night through the wee hours, uh, but they uh, they certainly do uh, do sleep forever well. And, uh, and they don't fidget. They're very, very still as well through the course of the night. But I think it's a wonderful idea. Um, I know here in Colorado, people are very dog friendly. You see dogs absolutely everywhere. And um, they really are very good for the soul and warm the soul. So we'll be discuss- discussing mince pies uh, a little bit more. My recipe, I, I gave the recipe for the mincemeat. Um, probably on uh, an early podcast next week, we'll be uh, getting to the, uh, to the most important part, the pastry. Um, but I saw in the week people were eating these uh, mince pie empanadas. So I do like an empanada. I think I prefer a Cornish pasty if I'm to be completely honest, but I do like an empanada. But they were making like these mince pie empanadas. And there's a real um, hesitancy uh, in the US uh, for people to eat like this dried fruit type of mince meat, sweet mince meat. Or even the, as I said, the, uh, the 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 Christmas cake, the much maligned Christmas cake, English Christmas cake, which is basically dried fruit, marzipan, and, and the icing on top. Um, but the empanada um, could be a way of introducing the sort of mince pie 
to the masses in America. It looked rather, it was encased like an empanada. Um, it was slightly, um, some of the uh, filling was like popping out at the sides. I mean, that stuff's molten hot. You talk about, um, you, you know, you talk about a red hot poker or getting too close to the fire. The uh, the, the ingredients within the mincemeat, um, I, I mean, it could it could probably it could probably burn you to a cinder. That's how uh, molten hot this uh, this mincemeat does get. But it looked rather wonderful. It was very it looked very flaky um, and uh, and it just like an empanada, but like a sweet empanada. So it may be uh, a way of introducing one of my favorite seasonal English treats to the American public in the in the in the form of a more familiar empanada. So I did wake up very early today, and uh, Paul McCartney does have a new album out. So I think I've mentioned on other podcasts, he had these um, this sort of trio of albums. Uh, McCartney, that was released straight after the Beatles broke up in 1970. Uh, then uh, McCartney 2 in 1980. It was almost after, the, uh, after Wings broke up. And now he recorded in lockdown McCartney 3. So I was listening to the album this morning, and there's some absolute uh, gems on the album. Um, it's it's acoustic to a you know to a fair amount, um, but it, it is rather wonderful. I mean, it starts off with an acoustic uh, jam out session on Long Tailed Winter Bird. Um, deep deep feeling is like eight or nine minutes. It's ambient. It's uh, it, 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 you know you can meditate to deep deep feeling. Um, and I think my favorite was an older song that uh, was re-recorded. I think George Martin helped him with this back in the day. But it's Winter Bird When the Winter Comes. And it is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful song. Um, and it's and it's a rather lovely album, I have to say. It's probably not as commercially viable as some of the albums. But, you know, on a reflective year, just before Christmas, it's a perfect piece of listening. So any of you uh, veterans of listening to this podcast know that I have uh, the situation where uh, animals come into my life and often follow me. Now, I had a fox follow me home. Um, admittedly, I was uh, probably several sheets to the wind at that point uh, back in my university days. And uh, you know, I was walking back from the bar and uh, it was probably dusk in the wee hours. And I felt that something, some, something or somebody was following me. And I looked around, and it was a beautiful uh, scarlet red, bushy-tail urban fox. And the fox looked at me, and I looked at the fox, and, uh, and you know, and, and we, we had a moment. It was a foxy moment, and uh, I, I kept walking, meandering more like, and uh, looked back, and the fox was following me. It stopped when I stopped. It stopped when I kept moving. It kept. You know, trotting along behind me, and then finally, when I got to my house, I looked around, and the fox was nowhere to be seen. So I wonder if it was a uh, drunken apparition or something along those lines. Um, and then recently, I've had the um, great horned owl here in Colorado follow me around, f fly around, glide around. I go from one piece of the park, and the uh, and the owl swoops and comes close. And appears above, and um, and then the other day um, I was walking to the train station, and I, I I 
saw the black and white imposter, the magpie. There were several magpies actually, and it was uh, and it was burying its head in the in the snow. Um, its beak was uh, frosted tipped um, from the snow, and then as I got to the station, there was the magpie again above me, above the parapet, um, watching me as I boarded the train. So it made me think about uh, the whole significance of why, why, what does the magpie following me actually mean? So I had to do some deep research into the spirit animal totems and the magpie uh, symbolism. Um, in this case, magpie symbolism reminds you that obsession with the material world will not nurture your spiritual path. In other words, the magpie meaning indicates that only when we loudly follow our true calling in life by being all that we can be, we will be able to find a fulfillment and satisfaction for which we have been longing. Thus, it would be best if you reevaluated your priorities before you move too much further down the path you're currently on. Therefore, like the piranha, it is essential to keep an open mind when allowing this bird's magic to lead you on. When you follow its guidance in matters of spirit and true potential, you will find peace. Um, like its cousin the jay, the magpie symbolism flies into your life. Get ready, because you're about to embark on the world of opportunity. People with magpie totems believe in taking risks. They will also be found at the front lines of any endeavor or task. These folks uh, forcefully to defend their rights to give life a shot. No matter what the risks are, no matter what others believe, they push through. Uh, folks with this spirit, animal totem, know that they're about to swoop and fight when the timing is right. They also know when to stop and contemplate what's on offer. Very much like the leopard, people with the power animal are fearless in the face of adversity. So there, there we go. The magpie, I guess, is my spirit animal. I don't um, poke my beak around in nests and steal uh, rings and uh, other trinkets, though. Um, that that I'm not a I'm not a sort of bird burglar burglar in that respect, um, but uh, but that was quite you know it's quite revealing indeed. I don't know what the where the piranha comes into things as well. I mean, how can you equate a piranha and a magpie? You know, one sort of rips flesh off the bones, and I, I guess others sort of flush you out in terms of stealing uh, your rings and trinkets and watches and other glittery things that uh, that uh, glint in the in, in the sun. But there we go. The magpie followed me. Um, it, it, it had a message, and I think I need to seriously in 2021 follow the message of the magpie. So one of my f uh, favorite food critics is Marina O'Loughlin of the London Times. Absolutely love it. And in the week, she tried the Waitrose Christmas sandwich, um, and uh, this is what she thought of it. I bow to nobody in my love of a good sandwich, but I do not get the regular rash of Christmas offerings. Yes, I adore a sandwich groaning with leftovers from the Christmas blowout, up to including the cold bread sauce and jellied gravy. But these poor pallid numbers in chiller cabinets, if I needed a mass-produced lunch on the hoof, I'd rather go for boring old egg mayo than struggling with industrial sliced turkey, sugary cranberry, uh, rusky stuffing, and limp bread. Um, so there's a new sandwich, pigs under the blanket. Could it be a sausage and bacon sandwich by any other name, pimped up to justify its festivity with some cranberry and red currant chutney rather than too much mayonnaise? The sausages have a nostalgic, walls-like, bready quality. The chutney isn't too sweet, the bacon is aggressively smoked, and the bread, as with all these other things, are cold and damp like a compress. I don't know what it is about the bread when it comes to these sandwiches. And, and, and as I said earlier, do you, would you coat, coat the sandwich in some gravy? to, uh, to uh, liven it up a little bit and moisten it up a little bit. I do love a holiday sandwich, I have to say. 
Um, but 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 she is right. Um, the turkey isn't always at its best. I don't know about the uh, the lumpy gravy. The cranberry adds a sort of little bit of piquancy to the whole to the whole thing, and the stuffing. It can't be hard. You need a, a softer stuffing to make the sandwich there. But that's something that I will definitely be enjoying uh, this holiday season. The uh, festive sandwich, a festive feast of a sandwich. Cha-cha-cha. Okay, so um, ring lights, how the pros look hot on Zoom. Now, I've got a perfectly good face for radio and a podcast, but... Uh, I'd hate to televise this at the moment. As I said, I mean, who looks good in a wee willy winky hat um, and uh, and look rather sort of ramshackled under under some sheets with a couple of hounds next to me? Um, but if you're struggling to find the perfect stocking filler for the desk-bound narcissist in your life, I have the answer. Buy them a ring of light. For those certain generation, these halos of light attached to computers and powered by USB connections are recognisable as the last thing you see before a root canal. The Generation Z, uh, they are a key component to the Instagram influencers' starter kit. Beloved by everybody from Kim Kardashian, Kardashian to Charlie D'Amelio, uh, I think she's one of these TikTok people, for the flattering glow they bestow. For all of us living on planet Earth in 2020, they're an easy uh, saver from appearing uh, in the work uh, Zoom meetings as if you've had one or too many glasses of red wine the night before. We have new ways of working now, especially with the pandemic, so maybe it's time to normalize the use of the ring lights, the ring piece lights or whatever they're called, and recognize it's no different to the professionally produced media. Um, so I, I'm not one of the converts yet, but um, you know, if you're in technology who spends most of the time in the company's social media influences and conducting hours of video interviews followed by hours of online lecturing, you need the ring. You need the lighted ring. It's like a halo for those who um, maybe have fallen off the wagon of piety over the years. Um, but this is what all these Instagrammers and TikTokers and Twitters and tweeters are using. It's, it's, it's a ring of light that appears above your head, almost like uh, an angelic halo. I think if I put this halo-like thing above my head, it would probably melt. Um, maybe because I'm consuming a, a molten hot mince pie and some of the uh, some of the filling oozed out onto the ring and caused the ring to evaporate. Um, so yes, that, that's the key. I don't think one should eat mince pies or maybe a hot a hot meaty pie when you've got a ring of light uh, surrounded around your head. Um, there we go. So buy the ring of lights at Christmas, folks. So here's a big question. Can dogs see ghosts? Lots of people believe they can, including the psychic crime solver Christy Robinette, who shared with Reader's Digest a tale that may make any non-believers believe. We also posed the question to a number of dog experts, including doctoral level dog behaviorists and veterinarians. Um, so when trauma therapist and spiritual expert Audrey Hope sees her own dog behaving as she's seen a ghost, she believes that it has. However, underlying this, Hope's own belief in the paranormal. Before you get into the question about whether dogs can see ghosts, you first have to address whether you believe in ghosts exist. There's plenty of documentation that support the notion that dogs can sense paranormal activity. 
uh, but it's only meaningful to the extent you actually believe in paranormal activity exists and is capable of being sensed by the living yourself. After all, there isn't any scientific studies that prove the existence of the paranormal or dog's relation to it. That said, while scientists love to spoil ghost stories, a good 45% of Americans believe in ghosts. In other words, for slightly under half the Americans, the question is, can dogs see ghosts? Humans are much better than dogs at sensing color and clarity. However, dogs can see movement far better than humans, something that is especially true in low light conditions. So here's the truth whether dogs can actually see in the dark. So if you believe in ghosts and subscribe to the notion that ghosts tend to make their appearance under the cover of darkness, then dogs would be a fair... Uh, far better position to see them than humans. If you believe in ghosts and you're hoping to see one, consider visiting um, some of the m uh, most haunted places in America and take your dog along. Dogs are naturally equipped with one of the best senses of smell in the animal kingdom. A dog's sense of smell can be 10,000 to 100,000 times better, more sensitive than humans. So in that dog sense, have ESP, extra smell perception. And if you believe in ghosts, um, then it's not a stretch to imagine that dogs would be able to perceive them via scent. But if it uh, appears a dog is smelling a ghost, then there's also a logical scientific explanation for it. So this story is after uh, a lady's husband had passed, the dog would sit in the husband's favourite chair as it could sense the husband's presence. And it's likely he could, just not in an, uh, necessarily in a paranormal way, but rather in a sense that the husband's scent still lingered in the chair's fabric. Um, so when your dog's hair stands on end, next time your dog's hair stands on end for no reason, take a look around and if you see if you can perceive the cause. Scientists have been investigating how dogs sense the world around them through their skin and extension movements of their hair. It's well known that dogs can detect movement as well as temperature changes in the way humans cannot. In addition, dogs can hear twice as many frequencies as humans, according to Dr. Amendi but they can also pick up sounds that are four times further away than humans would be able to detect. So if ghosts exist, dogs can very well, um, with their sense of hearing, they could recognize them by sound. So, I mean, this is, this is incredibly interesting here, um, you know, regarding, uh, regarding dogs and ghosts. So I remember when my uh, dear departed Lizzie, uh, the uh, Corgi Chihuahua mix passed, um, uh, you had her cremated and the ashes on the on the fireplace. Now, for weeks after, both my dogs were looking in the direction of the fireplace. Constantly, nothing could distract their stare from the fireplace where the ashes were on top. I mean, I came back from a walk and my uh, aging Jack, um, he doesn't want to go on a walk as well, but I came in and he was, the door opened, normally he'd come and bark, but he was transfixed at where Lizzie's ashes were laying on top of the mantelpiece, which is uh, the fireplace, which is absolutely insane. So I think dogs do have that extra sense. So we'll be getting into a little bit of Trump on trombone, uh, but a, a man jailed in Scotland, Isle of Man, for water scooter crossing. A man who crossed the Irish Sea from Scotland to the Isle of Man on a jet ski to visit his girlfriend has been jailed for breaching COVID-19 laws. A Douglas Courthouse uh, heard the 28-year-old Dale McLaughlin took four and a half hours to travel from the Isle of Whithorn to Ramsey um, to visit his girlfriend. He admitted uh, arriving unlawfully on the island and was jailed for four weeks. I mean, that, that's real true love, to break the COVID laws to go and visit one's girlfriend. I did see on Twitter, though, that a young lady said, Jailed for seeing his girlfriend? The man is a hero. I can't even get a bloke to roam into Zone 2 for me.
Okay, so this was a sound uh, as the guy was on the water ski, a uh, little bit of mist around, and the foghorn was leading the way for him. So here we go. We're right into the midst here of Trump or trombone. Um, our little, our little look at uh, some of the most uh, awful headline crimes of the week, and we equate it to a rather sad wah 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 trombone, or uh, indeed a Trump. Um, so first on the uh, on the Oki this week, we have a mummified man died of extreme constipation after eating only uh, only grasshoppers. Um, you know, an absolutely fascinating historical tale here. Uh, a mummified man who lived 1,400 years ago survived on nothing but squished grasshoppers in the final months of his life, and his colon swelled up to six times its uh, normal size. The unnamed man, uh, who had been chowing down on the critters until he got severely blocked up, then died. Scientists have ex experimenting on the mummified remains of the hungry fellow who died 1,000 to 1,400 years ago. The starving Native American had contracted Chagas disease, which is called by a parasite blocking up his gastrointestinal system. What an awful way to go. His colon swelled up to six times the usual size um, uh, from eating these uh, chewed up grasshoppers or mashed up. It's like a grasshopper mash going on there. I wonder if you add butter and milk to that to make it extra creamy. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> I just wonder why he didn't try supplementing with prehistoric Miralax. Uh, did they have an ancient form of plant-based laxative? Maybe even curried mammoth would have got uh, his ancient bowel moving. So Chef says 11p, uh, which is probably about 15 cents, Oxo Cube is a trick to making tasty macaroni cheese. Great, great British menu head chef Tom Westerlin revealed exactly how you make macaroni cheese taste even better. And it's an ingredient uh, that's already in your cupboard. Macaroni cheese is one of the best comfort meals out there. It's gooey, cheesy, and you just can't go wrong. The opportunity are endless too. You could add different types of cheese to intensify the flavor or throw in some chopped bacon or jalapenos. But if you're looking for a quick, simple, and cheap way to improve the dish using an item you've already got in your cupboard, um, use, up the, use the stock cube, the bouillon cube, to ramp up the flavor of the cheesy pasta. Uh, he says the stock cubes are my go-to um, at home. Don't knock them. They're one of the most powerful uh, tools you can have in your kitchen to ramp up the flavor. They're fantastic as a topping for macaroni and cheese. So, I mean, the amazing thing is anybody who has children here, why do children still prefer the radioactive orange of the box mac and cheese instead of the velvety goodness of a cheesy homemade macaroni and cheese where you put love and attention and your own fair hand into making it? So the young Egyptian finds fortune in scorpions. Several years ago, a young Egyptian man abandoned his degree in archaeology to hunt scorpions in the country's deserts and shores, extracting their venom for medical use. Mohammed Hamdi Boshta is now owning the Cairo Venom Company, a projecting housing of 80,000 scorpions in various farms across Egypt, as well as snakes, and he also keeps them for his venom. Um, so a gram of scorpion venom can catch uh, $10,000, uh, and Boshta exports it to Europe and the US, where it can be used to make anti-venom and a range of other medicines for hypertension. Now, I think the whole, I mean, there's a picture of him with scorpions on his face. Now, that would increase my hypertension, you know, without an absolute doubt. You know, pictures with him laden with scorpions all over his face. The whole idea of the scorpions would definitely raise my blood pressure. And uh, he would have to find another use uh, for the venom to remove any stains from my trousers.
and we have portable toilets sing Christmas carols in festive display. An Indiana portable toilet company shared a festive video of what it calls the first rec record for the most animated faces in a single holiday light display. The uh, Service Sanitation posted a video on Facebook showing 32 portable toilets adorned with animated faces singing Alleluia. I mean, that could be a, I mean, that could be a cure to the guy with constipation from eating grasshoppers. I mean, if he finally got relief from uh, the constipation of uh, eating a, a whole ton of grasshoppers, I think he would be singing Alleluia as well. The Jingle Johns have officially set a world record for the most animated faces on a single holiday light display. I hope there was social distancing involved and a lot of bleach wipes, uh, I, would, uh, I would suggest on that one. Um, but maybe a Victorian choir could sing the first Luel. Um, uh, or maybe Hark the Herald Angels Stink. Uh, or my favourite of all, O Come All Ye Fartwell. So we have another enigmatic English eccentric here. It's George Sitwell. So George was not only an eccentric himself, but also the father of eccentrics. Edith Sitwell was his daughter, a sign at the family house warned guests. I must ask anyone to entering the house never to contradict me or differ from me in any way, as it interferes with the functioning of my gastric juices and prevents me from sleeping at night. Sir George was an inventor. He created a miniature pistol for shooting wasps out of the air. A further invention was a musical toothbrush. His uh, greatest invention was the egg. Uh, was, did he create the egg? Uh, made of smoked meat, rice, and covered in a chemical lime for travellers to carry around with them. Uh, so almost like a pickled egg. Uh, none of his inventions ever took off, though. Sir George was a keen medievalist and liked to keep his home in the style of the 14th century. While tolerable at home, this led to problems with his children. He tried to pay school fees and produce from his farm and gave them pocket money calculated from 14th century currency. So the social dilemma sort of strikes again, um, defrosting a lot of meat this week. And then suddenly something picked, you know, appeared on Instagram almost uh, by magic the defrost tray, thaw meat faster. So you put this meat on this um, on this metallic tray and it says there's no need to wait for hours or use the microwave to defrost your food. Preserve the nutritional flavor and achieve incredible uh, cooking. Um, there's no electricity, microwave or water necessary. And it apparently can uh, defrost a piece of steak uh, in, in, in maybe half an hour. But how does how does you know how does it thaw one's meat quicker and how do they even know that any of my meat was frozen they're listing in here they know that i have frozen hunks of meat that need to be defrosted and this is why they're they're advertising to me you know ai is is taking over here and now it's getting into me frosting my meat ladies and gentlemen welcome to the fifth annual bad manners awards the bmas in colloquially speaking these are the awards, uh, those in the public eye who wish to avoid attending being associated with and indeed winning. The judging committee has spent weeks deciding which celebrities, politicians and those who ought to know better deserve one of the most galling gongs to mark the most grievous breach of protocol or lapse in manly judgment of 2020. Um, so, uh, finish mincing the blushing, red carpet of shame, time to find your seats, practice your best pout and hush your voices and here are the proceedings. So we have the winners here. So the least selfless award goes to Rita Ora. What none of us knew until recently about Rita Ora, she's as well as being a purveyor of mid-chart ranking tunes, she's also a highly qualified microbiologist specializing in viruses. 
according to her years of research and doctorate from the Sylvia Young Theatre School, meant that she uh, is very well known that the coronavirus would avoid the affluent areas of West London, leaving Dr. Aura and her fer- uh, fellow um, medical professionals such as uh, uh, Cara Delevingne and uh, Professor uh, Jay Morgan to party en masse. When the rule-breaking Notting Hill birthday party was discovered, Miss Aura swiftly apologised, saying it was a spur-of-the-moment decision. Uh, whether you agree with the rules or not, it does not matter. They are the rules. If you disagree with them, stand for Parliament and lobby to change them. No one is above them. So she wins the least selfless award for her party in Notting Hill. The worst-dressed recipient is Jess Glynn. Back in July, the singer decided she was uh, above the clearly stated dress code on London's uh, restaurant Sexy Fish. Miss Glynn arrived in a hoodie, leggings and a peak cap to the Asian-themed diner. For the clarity, the website reads, We request the guests do not wear sportswear, uh, beachwear, ripped jeans, flip-flops, sliders or workout trainers. Miss Glynn may, uh, may be able to read music, but she obviously fails in uh, short reading websites. She arrived uh, violating several of the sartorial policies and then uh, rather than engaging in a reasoned debate with the staff like an adult, she churlishly took to social media to vent. A hoodie may be fine to wear around the house, but it's not appropriate for dining out. If you don't like the dress code of a Mayfair restaurant, there's always McDonald's, Jess. Um, and then we have the least gracious award recipient, the uh, President of the United States. Donald Trump must have had, uh, been sick the day his school at Forest Hills, New York, held Sports Day. Clearly, he got no practice in having to be gracious in the throes of defeat. If a young Donald had experienced uh, finishing last in third grade egg and spoon race, his behaviour since the 3rd of November may not have been so childish. If you don't uh, like the rules of competition, don't take part. Refusing to concede and mooting the idea he won't be attending the President's elect inauguration on the 20th of January is unsportsmanlike and embarrassing for only uh, not only for him but for the office he supposedly represents currently the uh, least sense of occasion the recipient his royal highness the duke of cambridge back in february where uh, many were able to get within six or seven inches of the uh, duke of cambridge the second in line to the throne was seen at the front row of the baftas chewing gum granted he was uh, going to endure uh, actors making jokes at the then recent Megxit, uh, but there are other ways to release stress that don't involve the far from royal habit of smacking gum. Uh, the uh, Paul Form Award recipients the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. In the uh, interest of balance, Prince William's brother and sister-in-law also winning the Bad Manners Award this year. Um, their sudden dramatic exit from the main, uh, well, royal stage back in January was also bad form. They failed to respect the public, the institution and the family and give proper forewarning to the notice. They chose to uh, press a nuclear button before any recent debate had been held. The couple insisted they wanted a break from the media and wished to avoid the harsh reality of being public figures. Something they're able to uh, do over on Netflix and Spotify. And the um, special contribution to etiquette is Imelda Staunton. At the start of the year, the award-winning actress Imelda Staunton launched a campaign to have theatres stop their patrons from eating noisy sweets and crisps during the performance. Rightly, she pointed out the packaging is so noisy and impractical it will disrupt the mood of the show. An excessive TV culture has also meant audiences weren't able to sit through any form of entertainment without snacking. Arguably, Miss Thornton's campaign did little too well. Three weeks later, the theatres closed, so there's no noise now. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. We have another edition tomorrow. We have Christmas bumper bonanza festive editions of the podcast again tomorrow. 
Uh, so thank you for joining me at Keep Cheese on Twitter, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram. And uh, we finish uh, by uh, a little poem by Victor Rydberg, Tom Tam. And it's a, more of a seasonal poem. Midwinter's nightly frost is hard, brightly the stars are beaming, fast asleep in the lonely yard, all at midnight are dreaming. Clear as the moon and snowdrifts shine, glistening white on fir and pine, covers on rooflets making, none but totem is waking. Grey stands by the door, grey in the snow appearing, looks as ever he did before, up on the moonlight peering, looks at the wood where the pine and fir stand around the farm and never stir, broods on an unveiling riddle, forever failing. Runs his hands through his hair and beard, gravely his heads are shaking, Harder riddle I've never heard, vainly my head, I'm breaking. Chasing then, as the worst for I, such insolvable things away, Tom Tam trips, without hustling, now about duty bustling. Goes in the larder and tool house fine, every padlock trying, sealed by moonlight installs the cane, dreaming the summer are lying. Heedless of harness and whip and team, pulse stabbed, has to a dream, manager and crib all over, filled with sweet-smelling clover. Tom Tem goes to the lambs and sheep, seal they are dreaming, goes to the hens where the cock will sleep, perched with vanity teeming. Caro in kennel, so brave and hile, wakes up gladly, wags his tail. Caro knows his brother, watchman, they love each other. Lastly, Totem will steal to see, the master folks love so dearly. Long have they liked his industry, now they honour him clearly. Stealing on tiptoe, soon he nears, nursery cots the little dears. None must grudge him the pleasure, this is his greatest treasure. Thus he has seen them sire and son, endless numbers of races, whence they are coming one by one, all slumbering faces. Mortals uh, succeeding mortals there, flourished and aged and went and where. Oh, this riddle revolving, he will never cease solving. Totem goes to the hay shed loft, there is his haunt and hollow. Deep in the sweet-smelling hay aloft, near the nest of the swallow. Empty now is the swallow's nest, when spring is blossom-dressed. She is home, will be yearning, will be with her mate, she will be returning. Then she'll twitter and sing and chat, most of her airy travel. Nothing through the riddle that totem can never unravel. Through chink in the hay-shed wall, lustrous moonbeams on totems fall. There in his beard they're blinking, totems brooding and thinking. Mute in the world is nature all, life is so frozen and dreary. From afar but the rapids call, murmuring sounds so weary. Totem listens half in a dream, fancy hears a virtual stream. Uh, wonders where it wither is going, whence its waters are flowing. Midwinter's nightly frost is hard, brightly the stars are beaming. Fast asleep in the yoni lard, uh, all till morn will be dreaming. Faint in the moon and the snowdrifts shine, glistening white on fir and pine, covers on rooflets making, none but totem is waking. One and all, enjoy your festive Friday, and I'll talk to you again on the morrow. Toodaloo for now.